Good morning. How are you all doing? Yeah, cool. Good. Good morning, friends. It's, it's, oh, you just look beautiful. Look at you. It's a wonderful pleasure and a privilege. It really is to be with you this morning. Um, in this space, in which is, in my opinion, one of the most beautiful places on earth. To some, this place might just be a building or a historical monument. But to me, this is one of the most beautiful places on earth. It's in this place that I first encountered Jesus Christ when I was a 15-year-old boy. And when I decided to follow Christ with my whole life, it was in this glorified jacuzzi, which we call a baptistry down here, that I was baptized. It's in this place that I met my wife. And if, yeah, I know, I've got a wife. Um, and, and just down here, a few years later, we got married. It's in this place that I've rejoiced at the birth of my daughter, and I've mourned the loss of my grandparents. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's in this place that I have, um, I'm not afraid to say, teared up a little bit at dedications like Liliana's this morning. Beautiful to see our children and our family welcome a new member. And I was over there like, I've just, I've just been cutting onions, I'm fine, I'm fine. But I'm just tearing up a little bit. It's in this place I have been discipled, and I have had the opportunity to disciple others. I have prayed, I have danced, I have sung, I have wept, I have knelt, I have slept, I have eaten. <laughs> I have lived in this place. It's not the building, as stunning as it is, that makes this one of the most beautiful places on, me, uh, on earth to me. But it's my experience of the people who regularly meet in the building. This bonkers and brilliant church family that we call Trinity Cheltenham. My experiences have shaped my perceptions of this place, and that's, where, that's why where some may see a big old room with a bunch of gravestones on the walls, I see one of the most beautiful places on earth. But that's just my opinion. I have no facts, no statistical evidence, no data to back up my opinion. It's just my opinion. I've got opinions. You've got opinions. We've all got opinions in my opinion. And some of my opinions you might not agree with. In my opinion, my 12-week-old daughter Beatrix is the most outrageously cute thing to have ever existed. In my opinion, Forest Green Rovers are the finest football team in all of Gloucestershire. Ooh, contentious to say it in a chat. Faith is spelled R-A-S-K, I went there. Um, in my opinion, spiders are kind of beautiful in their own little way. Oh, an amen there. In my opinion, Marmite, delicious. And I don't even understand why there's a debate. Marmite, where, where, where are my people at? Where are my people at? There we go. Great. Those are some of my opinions. And some of you might not agree with some of them. And that's totally 100% okay. And granted, it's a weird way to start off a sermon. Uh, I've not exactly got any of you Cheltenham Town or Marmite haters on side but it highlights the point I want to make. Just because I have an opinion about something, does that make it true? Because we live in a world where opinion has become king. I'm not saying that opinions are a bad thing, okay? In, in and of themselves, they're wonderful. Hearing the opinions of others can bring so much vitality to our experience of what it is to be human. It's an incredible thing when the opinions of others are given permission to expand our understanding of God's world. I am grateful 
and thankful for every medium through which I can hear other people's opinions. But trouble comes when opinions take precedence over truth. When opinions take precedence over the humanity of those with the opposite opinion. When opinions take precedence over wisdom. Because opinions change. Opinions can be altered, adjusted, and adapted. I've gone through about seven or eight different eras in my life where I couldn't decide whether I liked eating courgettes or not. (laughs) Opinions change. Our opinions, what we are supposed to build our societies, our communities, our relationships, our lives on. So every year, the people behind the Oxford English Dictionary select one influential word that has spiked in use to be chosen as their word of the year. And last year, the word of the year was post-truth which granted is actually two words smashed together, but if you're the Oxford English Dictionary, you can do what you want. So post-truth, a word defined as relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and a personal belief. We now live in a post-truth era. The great irony, of course, is that with truth and wisdom... We seem to, uh, the great irony, of course, is that truth and wisdom seem to be in such short supply, but information and opinions are everywhere. Information is relentless. Opinions are instant. Through 24-hour news cycles and 140-character limits, through press releases and think pieces, through notifications and newspapers, we have instant access to so much information right from the moment we wake up every day. A 2016 study found that in the UK, one-tenth of smartphone owners instinctively reach for their phones as soon as they wake up, and not just to turn off their alarm. A third reach for their phones within five minutes of waking, and half, that's equivalent to 23 million UK adults, use their phones within a quarter of an hour of the day starting. I'm not going to stand here and say that checking our social networks or reading the news are inherently bad things, because as that study continues on to say, they're not. But how and when and why we use them can be. What's supposed to be the foundation of our day? Is it supposed to be half an hour flicking through Instagram, Twitter and BBC News? We have instant access to so much knowledge and so many opinions, but what we really need more of in our societies, our communities and our lives is wisdom. Wisdom takes knowledge and opinion and experience and common sense and judgment and truth and smashes them all together and sees the value in each of those and brings them together. And ultimately, so much of this world is desperate. Having built itself on the shifting sands of just opinion and knowledge, this world is desperate to rebuild itself on the solid rock of wisdom. I would humbly suggest that we, the church, We don't have a monopoly on wisdom, but we have placed our faith in the one who we believe wisdom flows from. And we believe that we're called to be a people who live out wisdom by proclaiming God's truth in God's way to the world in and through our lives. So this morning, I want us to take a look at what Jesus says about building our lives on the firm foundations of his wisdom. It's that same passage that Abby took us through this morning, entitled, The Wise and Foolish Builders, or The House on the Rock. So, around 2,000 years ago, near the start of his public ministry, a Jewish rabbi, a teacher named Jesus of Nazareth, walked up a mountain. He was followed by his disciples and crowds of people who had heard about his teachings 
and about the miracles he had performed. He had gone through all of Galilee, teaching in synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. He had healed every disease and every sickness, and he was starting to gather a reputation. So crowds began to gather from all over the place, from his home province of Galilee, but also from the provinces, towns, and cities throughout all of Israel. And even from beyond Israel, people were coming from the nations next door, from Syria and beyond the River Jordan. And so seeing these crowds, these people who have heard about him but don't know what to make of him, these foreigners who have heard myths about him and want to find out the truth for themselves, and these religious leaders who are skeptical of him, Jesus walked up a mountain with his disciples and the crowds followed. Now, we don't know exactly which mountain, but our best guess is that this mountain is part of a ridge of hills northwest of a village called Tabgah, with a magnificent view of the Sea of Galilee. Look at that. That's what it looks like now. There's like electric cables and stuff there that probably weren't there at the time. But, um, and so surrounded by crowds, with the fresh mountain air hitting his face, and with a stunning view of the sea, Jesus sat down and began to teach. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he continues to proclaim this incredible message about the kingdom of God. Christ's words are astonishing in their beauty, their love, and their wisdom. Jesus reminds us of what it is to be truly human and to know that we are children of God. He continues on and talks about how he hasn't come to abolish the old Jewish law. He's come to fulfill it. He talks about loving your enemies, not judging them. He talks about what it means to pray and about looking out for those in need. He talks about how anger and lust aren't just about surface level actions, but they're about heart. He talks about not worrying or being anxious about the things of this world because God is greater. And at the end of it all, having explained how the kingdom of God works, he asks the crowds what they think. And he invites them to respond with four parables. He speaks of two gates and two roads, two kinds of prophet, two kinds of disciple, and finally, two foundations. He concludes this Sermon on the Mount by giving the disciples, the crowds, and the religious leaders who are there a basic choice. They're either seeking to follow Jesus or they're not. And he asks us 2,000 years later that same question. Christ provides us with this most wonderful blueprint of what life could look like And he asks us to build our foundations on him and the wisdom of his words. So the passage, Matthew 7, 24 to 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. And at the end, Matthew 7:28 goes on to say, When Jesus had finished saying these things, 
The crowds were amazed at his teaching. So often it's the case that people love the sound of the Sermon on the Mount. It's really a phenomenal set of morals. And the temptation is to just be content to bolt it on as an important addition to our lives. But Jesus is clear in this parable. His wisdom is foundational, not optional. His wise words are words to build a life on, not additions to tack on afterwards. And the truth is the crowd, the world, is still amazed by the Sermon on the Mount. But the world is even more astonished and captivated by people who live out the Sermon on the Mount in their lives, just as Jesus did. So here's a question for us to ask ourselves in the quiet of our hearts this morning. Is the world seeing the wisdom of Christ lived out in our lives? Or is it just hearing it coming from our mouths? I ask that question of myself just as much as I ask it of you. Now, whenever I used to read this passage, I always thought Jesus was saying to his listeners, one guy went over there to build his house on a big sturdy rock. What a wise guy. And one guy went over there and went to a big old beach and built his house there. That's not how you build a house. What an idiot. And I'd always read the passage and come away thinking, of course you don't build the foundations of a house on sand. Sand isn't as sturdy as a rock. That's just science or geology or something. Um, But for those listening to Jesus, the, the meaning was a little more nuanced. So remember, they're all on top of a mountain with that incredible view of the Sea of Galilee. And during the hot summer months, the sand around the Sea of Galilee would dry out and compact And so it was hard on the surface. So it looked a lot like a big, old, sturdy rock. But a wise builder knew that in order to establish a strong foundation for his house, he'd need to dig several feet below the surface level sand to reach the bedrock below. The imagery would have hit Jesus' listeners hard. Don't just let the wisdom of God be a surface level thing, like some of the Jewish religious teachers have made it become. The wisdom of God has to be foundational to our lives. It's not an optional extra like the world says. It's not just for show. It's not surface level like the religious elite say. Because to all intents and purposes, the house built by the wise builder and the house built by the foolish builder, they look exactly the same. They could even be built right next to each other. Just one house has deeper foundations that go all the way down to the bedrock and one doesn't. In fact, these houses could look so similar that the only time you'd notice any difference is when it floods. When the trials and tribulations of life rise up like the Sea of Galilee, the foundations of a life are truly shown for what they are. Jesus is clear, a life built on the rock of his wisdom will be able to withstand all that the world can throw at it. They won't be shaken as we sung this morning. But a life built on a foundation of anything else will fall away when life gets tough. This parable concludes some of the most incredible wisdom the world has ever seen by asking us to respond to it. Which foundations do we want to build our lives on? Because Christ draws a clear dividing line between himself and any other foundation for life. And Jesus, he didn't offer us this profound wisdom and then leave us to work it out alone. Off you go, go and be as wise as me, the son of God. He didn't do that. He didn't leave us to struggle and strain in building the foundations of our houses ourselves. In fact, we know we can't do any of this without him. 
Jesus goes on to live out what he teaches, and he teaches by example. He heals people of sickness. He comforts the mourning. He loves the poor. He dines with sinners and saints alike. He reveals the love and power of God to people through incredible miracles. He proclaims the good news of the kingdom of God, and he transforms lives and communities. Jesus Christ displays the love and power of God to the world, and he is unlike anybody who has ever walked the earth. The incredible wisdom and glory of the almighty God, who created the heavens and the earth, animals and trees, set fire to the sun and sculpted the skies and the seas. The same God who flung stars and moons against the majesty of the canvas of space. The same God who holds every atom of our reality together. The same God in whom we live and move and have our being. That same God put on skin. That same God stepped down into our world in the person of Jesus Christ so that we could be in relationship with him. And he loved people and he served people and he taught about God to people who didn't know anything about God. The world may try, but we can't divorce the beauty and the wisdom of the Sermon on the Mount from the one who lived that beauty and wisdom out in every moment of his life. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our Savior and Redeemer. And ultimately, in his death and resurrection, Jesus showed us what it means, out, means to live out the wisdom of the Sermon on the Mount. What it looks like to build a life on the wisdom of God and not be shaken when the floods rise up. Because bloodied and battered, with a crown of thorns piercing his forehead, nails driven through his hands and feet, with life escaping his lungs with every rattled breath, and with the weight of the world on his shoulders. As love held him to that cross, Christ was poor in spirit so that we could now be invited into the kingdom of heaven. Christ mourned so that he could comfort us. Christ was meek so that we could inherit the earth. Christ hungered and thirsted for righteousness so that we could be satisfied. Christ was merciful so that we could receive mercy. Christ was pure in heart so that we could see God. Christ was a peacemaker so that we could be called children of God. Christ was persecuted so that we could understand that the kingdom of heaven is ours and we are to rejoice and be glad. Especially because we know that's not where things end. Three days later when Jesus rose victoriously from the grave, he demonstrated that nothing could stand in the way of the children of God receiving his invitation into life in all of its fullness and abundance. Jesus Christ lives out what he taught and we are invited through the parable of the wise and foolish builders to live like him by building our lives on the foundations of his wisdom. The wisdom of his teaching, the wisdom of his life, the wisdom of his death and the wisdom of his resurrection. Jesus invites us into this. You, me, everyone we know, everyone, we are invited into this. We're invited into life in all of its fullness and abundance. And that's still not where God finished things. He sent us the Holy Spirit to lead us, guide us, and fill us. God did not offer us his profound wisdom and then leave us to work it out alone. We can't muster the strength to dig through the compacted sand down to the bedrock of God's wisdom without the power of the Holy Spirit. All we have to do is ask, and the Holy Spirit will help us to build our lives on the wisdom of God.
As Psalm 127 so wisely puts it, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. In the power of the Holy Spirit, that same wisdom, love, and power that conquered the grave can now live in us. All we have to do is ask. All we have to do is respond to Christ's invitation to life in all of its fullness. So an obvious question, friends. Do we want to be wise or foolish builders? And a potentially slightly harder question, how do we tell the difference? We believe that we can ask the Holy Spirit to help us, guide us, teach us, as we seek to build our lives on the foundations of Christ's wisdom and seek to be a people who live out the Sermon on the Mount. All we have to do is ask and the Holy Spirit will help us to make wise life choices in life. When it comes to the big things and the little things, the evidence of which foundation we've built our lives on is to be found in whether we do the wisdom of Christ or not. Whether we live out the Sermon on the Mount in our actions and attitudes as well as our words. And whether we let it be the bedrock of every part of our lives, from our wildest dreams to our most mundane tasks to tick off our to-do list tomorrow morning. And everything in between. The wisdom of Christ is to be foundational to every aspect of our lives, not optional, just as Christ warned those first century listeners. We've got to keep praying. We've got to keep being a people who keep asking the Holy Spirit to help us make wise life decisions. The other option is to build our lives on shifting foundations. And we've got to be a people who keep asking the Holy Spirit to strengthen us, to let the wisdom of God spill out into every area of our lives and become people who live out the wisdom of God. So if you want to be someone who shows the poor in spirit that the kingdom of heaven is is theirs, then get involved with King's Table, street teams, the garage, and serve the vulnerable and homeless in our community. If you want to comfort those who mourn, then don't avoid those who are mourning because it's awkward. And don't assume that mourning is a finite process that will be wrapped up within a month or so. Invite those who are mourning into your home, put the kettle on, and listen. And if you think you can't do that because you're a lousy listener, there's a really good 10-week listening course at Gloss Cole. Sign up for it. Go and do it. I, really, I genuinely believe that the church should have double the number of ears as it has mouths. It's the body of Christ. If you want to demonstrate to the meek that they'll inherit the earth, then invite your quietest, most awkward workmate to dinner. It might be awkward, but they will know. Such blessing from that. If you want to join in with those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, then give money to incredible charities like uh, Hope for Justice and Charity Water, who are, who are working to bring clean drinking water to every person on the planet. If you want to show mercy to people, go out of your way to be kind to the next traffic warden you see. Maybe stagger it, because I'm a bit worried about saying that, that the guy in NCP is going to be overwhelmed. But <laughs> stagger it throughout the week, people. Come on. Um, if you want to show God to the pure in heart, then tell the young people in your life, however old they are, every day. Sorry, sleep deprived, Dad. Bear with me. Every day of how loved and cherished they are by God and by you. You can't say that stuff enough. Whether they, My 12-week-old daughter can't even speak English, and I tell her every day. And I'm sure one day she'll tell me the same thing. I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to be a peacemaker, 
then call up that family member or workmate who just seems to have the opposite opinion to you on everything and spend time with them in real life. Get to know them. Get to know where those opinions come from. If you want the persecuted to know that the kingdom of heaven is theirs, then pray for those who are fleeing religious persecution in countries like Syria and Eritrea. And then call up your MP and ask him what our government is doing to help them. Friends, what would it look like if we lived out the wisdom of Christ in the power of the Spirit so that it might glorify God in every area of our lives? What if we were really prepared to build the foundations of our lives, our churches, our families, and our society on the bedrock of the wisdom of Christ? What if we acknowledged where our foundations have been built on sand and we turned around and asked the Holy Spirit to relay our foundations on the wisdom of Christ? What if the world, the crowds, were amazed and astonished by people not just parroting the Sermon on the Mount, but living it out? What if we lived fully aware that the same wisdom, love, and power that conquered the grave lives in us? What if we truly believed Christ's words when he said that those who believe in him will do even greater things than him? Then I believe, I really believe this. That we will see lives transformed as the church, empowered by the Holy Spirit, helps people to rebuild their lives on the foundations of Christ's wisdom, truth, and love. I believe we'll see communities changed as the wisdom of God leads people to offer the generosity and hospitality of God to those around them. I believe we'll see change in the church in this nation and throughout the world as we throw off the shackles of religious pretense and offer the world the wisdom of God with outrageous love. I believe we'll see nations changed as revolutions of wisdom, grace, and truth break out as people are seen to be living out the Sermon on the Mount and are seen to be following the way of our servant King, Jesus Christ, in every sphere of culture. Friends, may the wisdom of Christ be the bedrock of it all. May the wisdom of Christ be the bedrock of our parliaments, our schools, our supermarkets. May the wisdom of Christ be the bedrock of our offices, our hospitals, our bus stops. May the wisdom of Christ be the bedrock of our coffee houses, restaurants and pubs, our dinner tables and gardens, our football stadiums, cinemas, gyms, libraries and kebab vans. (laughs) May the wisdom of Christ be the bedrock of our nurseries and our retirement homes and everything in between. May the wisdom of Christ be the bedrock of our society, our city, our church, and our lives. Amen? Amen. Shall we stand? Oh, thank you. Thank you guys. Let's stand. So, friends, let's, let's just be still for a moment. Let's just close our eyes and just wait on him. Just wait on God. Let's just wait on the one who wants to infuse our lives with wisdom and truth and grace. Just come, Holy Spirit. Make, make us more aware of your presence here today. Thank you, Father. We're just going to wait. Do you know what? Um, if 
you're here this morning and you feel captivated by Christ's words and his wisdom and his works and his life and, and you've, you've never thought about it before and you want to accept that invitation for the first time into life in all its fullness, then know that wherever you're at today, whether you found it easy or hard to come here today, he is always inviting you into experiencing the fullness and abundance of life in him. And so if, if, if you're here today, I'd just love us all to just close our eyes for a sec. If you're here today, though, and you want to take that step of following Jesus with your whole life, then I'm just going to pray a, a real simple prayer. And you, you maybe just repeat it in the quiet of your own heart. There's nothing magic about it. It's just a way of uh, speaking to God and just saying, look, this is where I'm at. This is where I want to be with you. So here's this prayer, and you just repeat in the quiet of your heart if you want to take that step of, of experiencing the fullness and abundance of life in Christ. Jesus, I thank you that you long to be in relationship with me. You came to earth to be with me. You died on a cross to save me from my sin and then rose to life again so that I could have life in all its fullness. I'm sorry for where I've tried to do things in my own strength. I'm sorry for where I've built my life on the wrong foundations. I'm sorry for the things I've got wrong in life. Help me to rebuild my life on your wisdom, grace, and love. I ask you now to please come into my life and be Lord and Savior of my whole life. Please be my strength. Take me as I am and please use me to be a blessing to others and to help build your kingdom Amen so let's just keep our eyes closed and if that's you if you've prayed that prayer for the first time just for a second whilst everyone's got their eyes closed in this space as a safe space maybe just wave at me so I can see let's just keep our eyes closed and know that for those of you who prayed that prayer whether for the first time or the hundredth time there's a party going on in heaven over you right now the Lord has cherished and loved you since before you were born and he delights and rejoices in you now and if you prayed that prayer for the first time then just come and say hello to myself or Andrew at the end if that seems a bit daunting you can talk to our welcome point team uh, or you can talk to the person who brought you today but we're going to continue to pray and stay in that place of waiting so just come Holy Spirit make us more aware of your presence here today the band are just going to gently twinkle behind us and we're just going to wait on the Spirit because he just loves to be with his children thank you just be for some of you uh, the weight of other people's opinions 
holding you down from, holding you back from what God has got for you. And you can feel it. You can feel that burden. You can feel the burden of other people's opinions. It might be family members. It might be friends. It might, it might it could be work colleagues. Whoever it is. Whatever those opinions say of you. God just wants to minister his truth and his wisdom to you this morning. If those opinions are weighing down your shoulders, then Christ wants to say to you that his yoke and his, easy, his, yoke is bur- and his burden are, are light and easy. And he wants to just take, take those heavy burdens from you. Christ said, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. He just wants to give you rest this morning. So if that's you, and you just feel weighed down by those opinions of others, then we'd love to pray for you. If that's you, just come on down to the front. There's, there's nothing magical about the front. It's just a logistical thing, really. It just makes it easier for people to come and pray for you. But if that's you and you, you'd love to be prayed for, just come on down to the front. And we're just going to carry on waiting on the Spirit. I'm wondering also, I, I was really struck by it and I could feel in the room we were struck by it, that sense of drilling down to the rock. I don't know if that's for, for one or two people. If you want to come forward and just someone to stand with you and pray a sense of drilling down onto deeper rock. Maybe it feels a bit shaky at the moment. Uh, or you're just, just wondering if you're on sand and not on rock. Maybe in working life, in family life. You just want a greater sense of certainty of drilling down into the rock. So why don't you just come forward now and we'll pray. But also come forward for any reason. Whatever God might be saying to you today, just why don't you come forward. And people will come and pray with you. That's great. One or two people coming. Do come on down. You just maybe responding to what Gareth has shared or you just want to drill down into the rock you want to be sure that you're on rock if you could just come and pray with these people one or two people from the church family that would be lovely I just really have a sense one or two people in working life that might just be me speaking but I just wonder if one or two of us in our working life wherever you're going back tomorrow maybe you've been on holiday I have that sense and uh, you've been thinking whilst you've been on holiday about what Monday morning looks like and you want to drill down to rock that's the prayer with the Holy Spirit